Well, it is much easier to preach the Bible with the Bible, so I'm happy to have found my wayward book. As we are looking at Ephesians 5, uh, specifically in this passage, uh, verses 8 to 20 really seem to be a single unit of thought. And so what I would really like to be doing today is preaching that whole section. But for the sake of time, we're going to divide it in half. Uh, So we'll look at the first part of it this week, and we'll look at the second part next week. Today, We'll be focusing in, excuse me, on verses 8 to 14. Pardon me. Let me read that for you again, but I want to back up to verse 1. So we get the springboard that Paul is giving us leading into verse 8. But before we even read verse 1, we need to look back to the rest of the book. So we're going to just read the whole book. No, we're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is just remember what it is that Paul's talking about. In the very beginning, in chapter 1, he, is, he starts out with praise to God. Because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He has given us those who are in him. The, the letter is addressed to the saints, the holy ones, those set apart for God. And he's saying all of us who are in Christ have been given the fullness of Christ. Every spiritual blessing with which we could possibly be blessed are already ours in Christ. Because God has chosen us and adopted us and made us his own. And because he has done that, he has destined us to be fully conformed to the likeness of Christ. To be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, somebody say amen if you know you don't look exactly like Christ yet. You don't look like him now, but you're looking more like him every day if you're in Christ. His spirit in you and his word upon which you stake your life is changing you. And it is bringing into harmony your life and the kingdom life that God has set this world to have. And he will complete what he started. And in this harmony that God is bringing about, he is bringing all things, not just the life of the Christian, but all things, even creation itself, under his kingdom rule, under the feet of Christ, Everything brought into perfect harmony, including who you are and how you live. So when he gets past the first three chapters of establishing who we are in Christ, our changed nature, that we were dead in our sins, but now we are alive in him, this change, this transformation that takes place, the cosmic trade of my sin for his righteousness in the person of Jesus Christ, who died and rose again in my place. He moves into chapter 4, 5, 6, saying, because you're different, this is what it looks like. Now we pick up with 5, 1. 
Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, among you, among you Christ followers, you saints, you children of God, among you, oh boy, it's different than the world. Among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, as we look at this text today, it may seem strange, maybe not, it seems strange to me, maybe it seems strange to you, that Paul, in the middle of talking about what it looks like to be a Christ follower, would go back to what he's already talked about in the first several chapters. <clears throat> he's talked about the fact that we have been changed. We're not who we were, and therefore we don't live like we used to live. Right? We, we need to walk worthy to live a life that is fitting for a child of God. We don't earn it with our behavior, but rather because we have been given life in Christ, now we walk in accordance with that life. So why would he stop and reiterate, essentially, you've been changed, so live like you're changed? We've seen that over and over again. Is it just an accident? Is his mind wandering a little bit? You know, maybe getting on in years, kind of slipping a little bit, like, like me sometimes, showing up without a Bible, you know, those kinds of things. Paul's not just chewing his food twice here. He is stopping to remind and emphasize to the Ephesian readers and, by extension, to us, that all the changed behavior in the world means nothing apart from a changed identity. If I clean up my life and I stop doing all the bad stuff I used to do and I start doing things that seem Christian, but I have not been reborn, I'm still darkness. No matter how much my deeds 
might act like, might seem like, might give off the perception to someone else that I am in Christ, looking like that doesn't make it so. At the same time, he's emphasizing, as he has been, that if I have been changed, it needs to be visible. He changes his metaphor here. You may remember in chapter 2, he talks about the fact that we were dead in our transgressions. That's, that's our nature. We were, by nature, children of wrath. Your NIV probably says, objects of wrath. But now he shifts from the difference between death and life to light and darkness. This moving from darkness to light is a little different metaphor and that's not an accident. It's not wasted by Paul. Every single word of Scripture is given by God by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and carries out His purposes. There's not one bit that God didn't intend to be just as it is, to say just what He says. So, what's that about? One thing that I don't think I noticed before and I don't want to overwork the metaphor. I think sometimes we're guilty of that. And I don't think I am. When we look at light in Scripture, most of the time, very often, it has a very specific meaning. Now, before we talk about that meaning, let's talk about what light is. Let's be semi-scientific. Scientific if we were in elementary school, which is really where I pretty much live mentally. There's a difference between light and darkness, isn't there? We all know that. Say amen if you know there's a difference, right? So <clears throat> you may remember a quote from Martin Luther King saying that darkness cannot drive out darkness, right? Only light can do that. He's not wrong. You don't come into a room that's light and turn on the darkness switch, right? You turn on the light switch. And the light drives out the darkness. The darkness is merely the absence of light. Darkness is a void. There is energy in light. Light is energy. And it fills that darkness. Therefore, the darkness no longer exists. The same is true of hot and cold. We don't add cold to a room, we remove heat from the room, right? That the heat fills the cold. The cold is the absence of the heat. In the same way, darkness is the absence of the light. Pedantic, perhaps, but important for us to, no to notice here. Now, in Scripture, what we see over and over again is most of the time when we see light as representative, as metaphor, it's the manifestation of God's glory. Think of the pillar of cloud and fire as God led the Israelites with fire. We see fire and lightning so often demonstrating God's glory. When we see the reflective glory in, in Isaiah 6, of the angels who are still too far below God 
to expose themselves to him. They are humble before him. Those angels are called seraphim, burning ones. There is heat and light. And light so often represents God's glory. Let's just turn to one example of that. Go all the way to the back of your Bible to the book of Revelation. I'd love to take you through more, but we've got a lot to cover and I want to make sure we do it. So, the book of Revelation, let's look at chapter 21. Very last book of the Bible and the last two chapters we're looking at. In the new heavens and the new earth, as we see the, the new Jerusalem come down and God establishes his, his literal direct reign, his literal kingdom on earth, we see this description starting in chapter 21 with verse 22. John writes, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. The glory and the honor of the nations, small in comparison to the glory of the kingdom, which is the glory of the king Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations." No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the last picture in Scripture, of the glory of God as light. So, <clears throat> with that in mind, when Paul tells us here that we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord, let's attach that, that picture of science with light and biblical approach to the meaning of light if darkness is the absence or the void, and light here represents the manifestation of the glory of God, then when we read Ephesians 5.8, it would sound a little like this. For you were once devoid of God's glory, but now you are the manifestation of God's glory in the Lord. Live as children of God's glory. This is the power of a changed identity in Christ. Everything about us apart from Christ lacks God's glory for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. We were created to be with Him in perfect intimacy, perfectly reflecting the glory of God. That's what all of creation exists for. That's what every human being ever born was created to do. Our purpose to bear God's image is to fully reflect the glory of God. But sin separates us from Him, from the source of life, from the source of light. This power is gone from our lives. We are devoid of God's glory. You don't have to turn there, but you may remember in Genesis chapter 1, we went, so we looked at Revelation, but in the very beginning, God created the heavens and earth, right? What's the first thing that he does? He says, let there be light. And in the first 18, chap- 18 verses of chapter 1 of Genesis, we see this concept of light over and over again. And God establishes heavenly bodies that that shine light. There's a picture of God's glory in creation, and when we see it restored at the, end of the, uh, at the end of time, at the end of the book, we see the light, the glory of God, consuming everything, being the very thing that sustains us. There will be no more night. There will be no more darkness. There will be no more places in all of creation that are absent God's glory. You and I, if we have received Christ by faith, have been changed. Fundamentally, everything is different now. With those things in mind, our core reality for today as we walk through this passage, verses 8 to 14, is that the believer's changed conduct flows from a changed identity. The believer's changed conduct flows from a changed identity. Paul's emphasis is somewhat reversed here from what it was in the early chapters. In the early chapters, he is establishing that changed identity, and then he moves into, because of this changed identity, there must be innately a changed conduct. If my heart has changed, then my walk changes. Now he's reestablishing this almost in the reverse, saying, if I'm going to have changed conduct in Christ, it needs to flow from the fact that I am in Christ, not just that my mama raised me better than somebody else. That's not enough. I can't be good enough on my own. But when he has changed me, when he has chosen me, adopted me, reached in and snatched out my heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh so that I can respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit in my life, so that I can receive and understand and be transformed by the Word of God in my life because I have trusted that Jesus Christ died in my place and rose to life again so that I might rise with Him then I have a new nature, a new identity. The believer's changed conduct flows from a changed identity. In other words, in Christ, we are different. And the difference shows up in our daily living. Now, 
as we see Paul change his metaphor, this changed metaphor shows us our power source. That's his, his emphasis here, is not just doing good things, but there is a source of energy, a dynamism, a power that moves in us. We have a new power source. Notice this, a changed life leads to changed living. A changed life leads to changed living. Verse 8, which is our memory verse for today. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. A changed life. Who you were is not who you are. Who you are is not who you were. There is a big change here. Because of that, he says live as children of light. It's for this reason that I think back in chapter 2 when we read that, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, verse 3, 2 verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I think when we translate it that way, or as the NIV previously did, it's objects of wrath, we miss the parallel of the children. We see this parent-child relationship throughout the book, and I think it's unfortunate when we miss it there. There's a contrast between the children of wrath and the children of God who are, in our new nature, children of light. What you were is not who you are. A changed life leads to changed living. Therefore, notice this. In Christ, I am fundamentally different. In Christ, I am fundamentally different. I'm not who I was. There is something in me that has been completely transformed. We all recognize that darkness and light are not the same, right? There's a, there is no fundamental similarity between darkness and light because darkness is the absence of light. There is a contrast. And Paul wants us to see the contrast between who we were and who we are, which leads to a contrast be, between what we did and what we do, how we thought and how we think, how we lived and how we now live in Christ. He is the source of it. Now as Paul shifts his metaphor from death and life to darkness and life, I'm reminded of the fact that Jesus is both. Turn to John chapter 1, if you would. If you're not quite sure where that is, you're going to move backwards to the left. You don't go too far. When you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John's the one you want. Chapter 1 is the first chapter of his book. I'm stalling, giving you time to get there. I love hearing the pages turn. That's exciting. There's nothing wrong with having your electronic devices. It's just it doesn't bless my heart near as much because I don't get to hear the pages turning. I need to add a sound effect that shows pages turning. John chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Somebody tell me who the Word is. 
Who's John talking about specifically? Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He was with God in the beginning. He was very God in the beginning. And He is very God today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God Himself in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life, notice, was the light of all mankind. Life and light. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jump to verse... uh, We'll stick with it. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not the John writing this book, but the John who baptized, John the baptizer. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. John was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Turn the page to chapter 3. Jesus in chapter 3 is meeting with a Pharisee who will become a believer, is not yet, but is is curious. And as he's speaking with this Pharisee under cover of darkness, as it were, he says to him that you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is confused by this imagery, and Jesus says, what are you confused about? You ought to know this. You're Israel's teacher. You need to be changed. You need to be born not just of water, not just the natural birth, But you need to be born of God, born of the Spirit. Verse 16. 3.16 might sound familiar to you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe... Stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Just to clarify before we move forward. We already stand condemned because of sin. Every person born to be a perfect reflection of God in perfect intimacy with Him 
given life for the express purpose of knowing him intimately and enjoying his presence in this relationship forever so that God receives all the glory. Every single person has been ripped from that purpose by sin and therefore stands already by default condemned by God. Rightly so. But to every person is given the offer of hope and life in Christ. He is our lifeline. He is our parachute. If you choose not to pull the ripcord, you splat at the bottom. By faith we receive the grace that has been offered to us. So if I choose not to choose, I stay in my default mode. I don't have to actively reject Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. I don't have to actively say, no, no, I'm choosing another way. I don't, I'm consciously see Jesus and I turn my back on him. I don't have to consciously do anything because I already stand condemned. But if I fail to take hold of the reality of God's grace given to me in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then I stand under God's judgment. I face His justice rather than His mercy. Everybody gets one or the other. You get His justice or you get His mercy. With that in mind, he continues, verse 19, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Stop for just a moment and remember what Paul says in Ephesians 5. These fruitless deeds of darkness, the shameful things that the disobedient do in secret, these are they're shameful even to speak about these things in secret. But, but the reality is, and we see this every day all around us, those who are disobedient to God don't seem to be ashamed to do their dirty deeds out in public. We celebrate sin. We celebrate our own human pride as if it's a good thing. We don't want the light. We want the darkness, like cockroaches. And when the light comes, we scatter. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Remember these words. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Since we're in John, turn the page a little bit more to chapter 8. <clears throat> when you find chapter 8, go to verse 12. <clears throat> when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We cannot separate the concepts. 
when we're talking about Christ, we cannot separate the concepts of light and life. So many more references I'd like to show you, but let's turn to 1 John, and then we'll get back to Ephesians. Go to 1 John, <coughs> excuse me, all the way toward the back. If you get to Revelation, you went a little bit too far. The books get real skinny back there, so if you have a hard time finding it. He's got three letters, and since they're all really short, that's helpful in finding them. Past Hebrews, past James, past Peter's letters. 1 John, <clears throat> chapter 1, starting with verse 5. This is the same guy that wrote the gospel, and he says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Turn the page to chapter 2. You probably don't have to turn the page. It's probably on the same page. Starting with verse 3. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. <clears throat> Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. Which you've, heard, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I'm write, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in Him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Let me just hover there for a moment before we press on. You cannot call yourself a Christian harboring hate, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness in your heart can't. You cannot hold on to the hurts of the past, refusing to forgive, and claim to be a Christ follower. You're still walking around in the darkness. But preacher, you might say, you don't know how badly I was hurt. You don't know how I was betrayed. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know the abuse that I have faced. That person I was supposed to be able to trust took advantage of me and scarred me. That person who was supposed to have my back turned against me and became my adversary instead of my advocate. You don't know how badly I was hurt. 
My spouse cheated on me. My child turned against me. My boss betrayed me. My friends abandoned me. And the Lord says through John, if you're still there, you're not in the light. You're still in the darkness. And you're walking around in the darkness. Now, if you are a saved person and you are wrestling with that, you are going to be bound by it. And you will continue to live as a slave, even though you have been set free. So you need to get right. You need to deal with that. You cannot receive the grace of God and fail to give grace to others. Enough hovering. Let's get back to Ephesians chapter 5. As we're talking about this power source, a changed life leads to changed living. In Christ, I am fundamentally different. The believer's changed conduct flows from a changed identity. It is our changed identity that changes our way of life. Apart from being reborn and united to Christ, improving our conduct is nothing more than empty religion and behaviorism. This is the point that Paul is trying to make for us here. All your better living... All your cleaning up your act and, you know, marking off your devotional calendar and giving to missions and all that kind of stuff means nothing if you have not been reborn in Christ. It cannot save. But having received Christ by faith, He makes us God's children, fully adopted, completely accepted, dearly loved, in a relationship that can never be undone. Christ living His life through us is the essence of Christian living. His resurrection power is the source of our changed living. From our power source, let's take a look at His point about being and doing. Something we need to understand if we're going to grasp what He's telling us here in verses 8 to 14 is that it is the nature of light to shine. It is the nature of light to shine. As Paul says it, you were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless, vain, empty deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It is the nature of light to shine. Light is an interesting thing. It behaves, in a sense, as energy and waves, and it behaves also, in a sense, as particles, as if it were matter. Light is a strange and unique thing in the created universe. But light, to exists, exists in its doing. What does that mean? When light exists, it exists as energy doing what it's meant to do. 
There is no light apart from the shining of the light, right? The light exists, therefore it shines. It shines, therefore it exists. It is inseparable. The activity of light, if you will, is inseparable from the ontology, from the being, from the existing of light. It's its nature to shine. The same is true for us. If we're in Christ and we are light, the manifestation of God's glory, not darkness devoid of God's glory, then as we have his light, we shine. There's no option to it. Now we may grow in intensity. We may grow in our shining of that light as we are transformed more and more into his likeness. You may just be flickering like a very weak candle. But eventually, you will be infinite lumens. You will be lighting up the night like you can't even imagine right now because it is your destiny to be just like Jesus. His light in you changes your nature and your changed nature is no longer emptiness and void. But God's creative power in you, not your creative power, you ain't got none. But God's power in you now makes your nature that of light so that it is automatic for you to shine. When we don't, it's because something is hindering that shine. Something is blocking that light. But the nature is to shine. Now, for me to do this, I need to understand something. It is the nature of light to shine, and I cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how I see myself. Okay, mark that down if you're taking notes. I cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how I see myself. So if Christ has changed me, but I don't think about that, I think of myself just as a sinner, same as I always was, and I don't recognize that my nature has changed, and I'm no longer darkness, I am light, but I think of myself as darkness, I identify with the darkness, I identify with my flesh, and whatever proclivities I might have, then I'm going to continue to live like who I used to be instead of who I am. This is my primary, my, well, one of my two primary issues with 12-step programs, which I think are very useful, very helpful, very practical for those who are in recovery from strongholds in our mind. But there are two issues that I have with it. Some of you have heard me say this before. First off, there is no power in a generic higher power. There is one living God. Amen? And if you're not tapped into the living God through a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are barking up the wrong tree. You will not receive help from the God you do not know and do not seek. That's a joke. By the way, that's not where AA started out with a generic higher power. That's where they evolved to as it got popular. The second, and more to the point today, 
is the idea that you are always recovering and never recovered. The flaw here is that I am always identifying with my sin, with my enslavement. I am never free. I am always a slave trying to get free. I need to recognize that I have been fully emancipated. My nature has been changed, and I am no longer an addict. I am no longer a slave to sin. Instead, I am a child of God, completely forgiven, wholly accepted, truly and deeply and dearly loved. Therefore, it's natural and logical for my behavior to change. Notice, I didn't say it's easy, right? I cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how I see myself. I need to begin to look at myself through the lens of Scripture. What does God say about me? Apart from Christ, I'm dead in sin. I am darkness. In Christ, I am made alive with His resurrection life. And I am light. I've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. And I belong to him period for that reason notice this in Christ I think and act differently I think and act differently because I am no longer darkness I stop thinking about myself as darkness now how I think about myself doesn't change reality but reality must change how I think about myself. I can't see myself through the lens of human wisdom anymore. I can't see myself through my human, earthly, temporal identity. All of those things are small potatoes. We're talking about big potatoes here. We're talking about the reality of my identity in Christ. In Christ, I think differently therefore I act differently the believers changed conduct flows from a changed identity because who I am has changed because Jesus traded places with me and made me the righteousness of God and his dearly loved child my very nature has changed my deepest desire has changed my values have changed my priorities have changed and while the changes become more pronounced as I grow in him, the nature of my new nature is to shine. Because I am not empty darkness, but I am active, moving, fruitful, living light in Christ. The better I understand and remember that, the more I will reflect that reality in my conduct. The way I see myself drives how I conduct myself. There's a new power source. There's a connection between our being and our doing. Notice also he's drawing out the idea of contrast and exposure. There's a difference between darkness and life, a contrast between them, and the light exposes everything. Notice this. The presence of light exposes what is hidden. The presence of light exposes what is hidden. We saw this in John chapter 3. Why doesn't the world like the light? Because the darkness 
covers up our dirt, right? You know, I, we've been kind of busy this week and our kitchen's kind of dirty. Dogs are in there, all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the kitchen. When the lights are out, I don't know it. Easy, walk away. You turn the lights on and my wife says, will you take the trash out? Will you do something here? She doesn't really say that. She's much kinder than I make her out to be here in this particular sermon. But it was fun to say. Anyway, when I turn on the light, I see what's wrong. This is what Paul is saying. Listen again. You were once darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So if you are light and you live as children of light, your light the light of life in you will now display goodness, righteousness, and truth. Pressing on in verse 10. And find out what pleases the Lord. Don't miss that, by the way. It requires effort. There's a finding out. I have to actually read the word. I can't just assume that because I've been born again, I can just sit here like a potted plant and expect fruit to grow. I've got to cultivate it. I've got to do something to figure out what it is that I'm supposed to do. Read the word. Connect with believers. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless, parenthesis, empty, vain deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Now you might read that and think it's our job then to go preaching against the sins of the world and not denying that, but that's not what Paul's saying here. That's not the point. For us to spread the gospel, for us to share God's word, we have to actually say it with words out loud, right? Nobody can understand it unless we actually say it with words out loud. But the point he's making here is the light in us and the fruit of the light that consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth by its very presence will expose, will show, will reveal what's going on in darkness. Darkness hides sin and evil deeds. You don't have to preach at somebody for them to see the difference between your life and theirs. What do you have to do? Stop living like you're still darkness. That's all. I mean, really... Try it. Test it out. Stop living like the people around you. Stop trying to fit in. This was one of the great sins of ancient Israel. They kept wanting to be like everybody else. Give us a king like everybody else. We need gods like everybody else. And God said, you're supposed to be mine. You're supposed to be holy. Set apart and separated. I've called you to something else. Not to be like the dark empty, vain world. Light, by its very nature, exposes what is hidden in darkness. Continuing verse 12, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Now, I have generally read that, that the dis disobedient are doing things in secret, but I think maybe we've missed the emphasis. Perhaps the emphasis ought to be, it is shameful even to mention in secret what the disobedient do. Whatever happened to shame? We're so intent on eliminating shame, on normalizing sin of every kind. Tolerance, acceptance, that, 
It all sounds so good. It's shameful. It's shameful even to talk about the sinful, fruitless deeds of darkness. Yet the unregenerate world, they're actually doing it. If you're a person of God, it's embarrassing even to talk about it. You feel dirty to even mention it. But those in darkness are living it as a lifestyle, normal. We need to change what we view as normal in accordance with our new nature. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Your presence shows the contrast and exposes what is hidden in the darkness. I need to press on. The presence of light exposes what is hidden. Notice this. In Christ, I stand out from the world. In Christ, I stand out from the world. If I am in Christ, I stand out. If I do not stand out, I need to seriously take a look at whether I'm in Christ. If my life looks just like it did before I was in Christ, something isn't right. If my life looks just like those around me who are still in darkness, something isn't right. This is one of the dangers of cultural Christianity. When we become accepted and Christian in the mainstream, I use my dainty little air quotes there to point out that that's not what Christianity is. When we get comfortable and the world follows our values, it's easy for us to forget that the difference is not in the deeds, but in the nature. The difference is between darkness and light. In Christ, I stand out from the world. The believer's changed conduct flows from a changed identity. In Christ, we are different, and the difference shows in our daily living. And because we are in Christ, we're not only different from who we were, we're different from the world around us. And that difference in our daily living causes us to stand out, and the contrast exposes the emptiness of life apart from Christ. Let's end with this idea of reflective luminosity. Reflective luminosity, the brightness of reflecting light. Now, Paul says here in, in uh, verse 14, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 13 actually, everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it's said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. If you've gone out in the darkness before and, you know, shine a flashlight out there and see little eyes glowing back at you, you might have a cat in the neighborhood, right? Or if you reflect light off of the wall, it, it scatters that light and the wall becomes a light. Whatever the light hits reflects that light. So it becomes in its reflective luminosity, the light itself. The moon does not generate light. It reflects the greater light of the sun. 
In the same way, as Christ followers, our nature has been changed from darkness to light, but it isn't our light, it's the light of the Son, the Son of God. Reflected from us, we are His satellites, if you will. And when we shine, we are shining His light. Notice this, Christ in me shines from me, offering hope in a dark and hopeless world. Christ in me shines from me, offering hope in a dark and hopeless world. Everything that is illuminated becomes visible and becomes itself a light. It's interesting in verse 14, this is why it is said, wake up sleeper. You know, sleep is often a euphemism for death. He clarifies that by saying, rise from the dead. In the same way Christ rose from the dead, you have been brought from death to life. But if you lay there lifeless, you might as well be dead. Get up. Live as children of light. And as Christ has brought you from death to life, He will shine the light of life on you. And in that illumination, you will reflect Him and become a light. Notice this. In Christ, I reflect God's glory. In Christ, I reflect God's glory. We mentioned earlier, light representing glory in Scripture. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is devoid of God's glory. Light is the manifestation of God's glory. The believer's changed conduct flows from a changed identity. If you have received Jesus by faith, you are a new creation. Reborn in Christ. Adopted by God. Sealed by the presence of God's own Spirit in you forevermore. And destined to be just like Jesus when God finishes His work in you. Because Christ is in me. And I am in Christ. I am lit up with His light. He has awakened my soul and raised this dead man to life. And He will now forevermore shine on me as He will on all who belong to Him. There's no difference. doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter where you're at in your journey. When Christ shines on you, He lights you up with the light of life. We used to be empty and devoid of God's glory, but now we have been made the manifestation of His glory in Christ. As we reflect the reality of Christ, His light shines out from us, filling this dark and hopeless world with the glorious light of God's grace, offering life to all who will receive it. Let me close with our memory verse, the first verse of our passage, Ephesians 5.8. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live, live, live as children of light. The believer's changed conduct flows from that very contrast, 
from that changed identity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Jesus is all we have. He's our only hope, our only light, our only life. Open our eyes that we might see the beauty of the Son you gave for us. Help us to recognize with gratitude that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, remind us of the reality that in Christ our very nature is changed. And this is the reason that we cannot live anymore like who we were. Even when we stumble, we can't live with it. We can't embrace it. We can't tolerate it in ourselves. And Lord, remind us that as we let the light of Christ shine out from us, that the darkness around us will be filled with your glory and that which is contrary to your will will be exposed by that light. Father, we ask now that you would, that you would expose any darkness, any shadow remaining in us. Bring it to our minds. Father, when we seek change, we seek it first in ourselves. Teach us, Father, not to compare the intensity of our light with someone else, but to recognize that wherever we're at right now, if we are in Christ, if we have been born again in Jesus' name, we are light. Teach us how to shine. We pray this in His name. Amen.